Hello. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus's parables in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. Three weeks ago, Nicola spoke about the parable of the lost sheep. Then Ian spoke about the parable of the lost coin. Today, we've reached the last and the longest of the three stories, the parable of the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son, as it's more commonly known. This is one of the best known stories in the New Testament. The expression killing the fatted calf has even slipped into our everyday language. And we've probably all heard sermons about it before. It's the story of a wayward son who brings huge shame on his family by demanding that his father give him his share of the inheritance in advance. Effectively, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Half the family property has to be sold off to release cash, money that the son then squanders. But it's also the story of a loving father who waits patiently for his son to come to his senses. Having squandered both his money and his integrity, the son finally reaches rock bottom. Feeding pigs would have been the ultimate degradation within Jewish culture. When at last he decides to go home and throw himself on the mercy of his father, he discovers to his amazement that rather than recrimination, there are loving arms waiting to embrace him. Breaking all their cultural norms, the father rushes out while the son is still far off, runs towards him and welcomes him with joy. The artist Rembrandt tried to convey this in his famous picture, The Return of the Prodigal, which I'll share with you here. Some of you I expect know this picture. It's a wonderful illustration of the grace and the love of God who is always ready to welcome us back when we return to him in repentance. Of the God who, when we were still far off, met us in his son and brought us home. This is the climax of the three stories in Luke chapter 15. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and now a lost son, which together give us a vivid picture of the character of God. Except it isn't the end of the story. For Jesus then goes on to tell his hearers about the resentment shown by the older son when he discovers that his brother has returned and that rather than getting thrown out, is being welcomed home like, well, like a long lost son in Rembrandt's picture. The, the older brother is portrayed as, as very severe. He's the man with his arms folded that we can see here. It's a real anticlimax, this part of the story, and it spoils the ending. So why does Jesus include it? To understand this section, we need to go back to the beginning of the chapter. In verses one to three, Luke tells us that all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. It was this muttering and complaining about Jesus's ministry that provided the context for the three parables. Jesus wanted the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to understand 
the extravagant love that God has for those who are lost and the rejoicing that takes place in heaven when a sinner repents. But by including the story of the elder brother, he was also having a go at them. The Pharisees thought that they were better than everyone else. They kept the Jewish law scrupulously and they looked down on sinners. So they would have been horrified by the behavior of the wayward son in the story. His blatant disregard for his father and the family honor and his dissipated lifestyle would have filled them with indignation. Instead of taking pleasure in the restoration of a sinner, they would much more readily have related to the elder brother, angry and full of self-righteousness. Jesus includes the story of the elder brother to make the point that it wasn't just the younger son who was lost. This outpouring of resentment suggests that the older brother had also lost his way. He too was far from living in the unconditional love and acceptance of his father. The difference was that he didn't recognize it. I am the eldest of six children and like many elder children, I've always been very compliant and well-behaved. That might surprise you, I know. But my younger siblings are probably less easy, eager to please than me. Although this is not universally true, you may recognize the dynamic in your own families. In his book, The Prodigal God, the writer Tim Keller suggests that most people fall into one of two categories. There are the younger brother or sister types who are adventurous, shake off constraints and love to experience all that life has to offer. When they sin, they really do it big time. Then there are the elder brother or sister types who are the rule keepers and the people pleasers who work hard and hold traditional values. It's an interesting idea and it would be fair to say that many churchgoers are elder brother or sister types. And we have lots of great qualities. We're really reliable, for instance. But the danger for us is that we may see our type as good and the other type as bad and think that if only everyone else were more like us, the world would be a better place. In other words, we can be quite judgmental. The story of the elder brothers, brother has a lot to teach us. First of all, the story teaches us that we can't earn God's blessing. Like the Pharisees, we may have obeyed the rules and been faithful servants of the church for many years, but it doesn't mean that God owes us. If we have ever felt that we have been given a raw deal, then the elder brother's bitter complaint, but all these years I have been slaving for you and you never even gave me a goat, may strike a chord. God isn't under contract to us. We don't follow Jesus for what we can get. Second, the story of the elder brother reminds us that we don't know better than God. The elder brother thought the younger brother's sin was unforgivable. His father might have forgiven him, but there was no way that he would. Those haughty words, this son of yours, suggest that he was no longer a brother to him. 
our moral standards are not higher than God's. And if God is prepared to forgive, then we must too. This moral superiority of the Pharisees, by the way, isn't unique to the church. Some of our popular newspapers take a very high moral tone and are extremely judgmental, particularly towards marginalized groups. And we need to be careful that it is scripture and not the owners of newspapers that are shaping our values. Finally, the story of the younger brother reminds us that we need to see the world through God's eyes. The eldest son refusal to come to the party and share his father's joy is heartbreaking. He must have witnessed the pain and the anguish that his father had been through, but he is so caught up with his own interests and perhaps particularly his now threatened future inheritance prospects that he is completely indifferent to his father's feelings. If we are Christians, if we are truly following Jesus, then God's priorities will become our priorities. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And our calling is to be his ambassadors in the world and to help others find their way home to the Father's love. And when they do, that should give us great joy. So this is the story of a prodigal son. And it's equally the story of a lost brother who fails to recognize his own need. But most of all, it is the story of a father who loves and forgives all his children, scribes and Pharisees, as well as tax collectors and sinners, renegades and rebels, as well as religious rule keepers. And he longs to welcome us all into his arms. Amen.